the four o'clock football frenzy. Presented by Dustin DeHart of Nova Home Loans. Call him now at 702-577-2600. The four o'clock football frenzy on Cofield and Company. What a weird deal today. There was a high-profile 40-yard dash, but it barely got promoted. We'll get to that in just a minute. Silver Sevens on a Thursday. This is our Thursday home throughout the year, and it just so happens to be game three of the Golden Knights series against the Wild. And every Thursday when there's a Golden Knights game on, 77-cent beer. So come on down, hang out. Good crowd developing down here, a couple of bars to hang out at. Got the William Hill book right there. You can sign up for the mobile app, and then you can play in-game. We'll get you uh, some updates from the baseball world scoreboard. Uh, odds during the day and odds tonight. we got NBA coming up as well. Yeah, so yesterday, middle of the show, John, I I had seen this thing with names listed like Devin White, Nicole Hardman, Henry Ruggs, uh, Justin Jefferson. I, for some reason, I keep calling him Jordan Jefferson. Justin Jefferson, that they're running this 40-yard dash. <laughs> I'm like, okay, you, know, you do a search, you're like, okay, this is nowhere. Why has there been no report of this, no pub at all? I know it was kind of low-key. It came out yesterday, sponsored by uh, you know paper towel company. And in four different locations, the guys went out and ran the 40. Uh, here's a little clip as they kind of mashed it together. You know, on the screen, you got four screens. You're seeing these guys, all these guys, burners, including Devin White, who's like 240 pounds. Four, three, seven. Let's get it. Let's get it. Hey, I know that's the one right there. I know that's the one. Yes, sir. Four, two, six. The clock don't lie. Four two two. All right. The middle voice was Henry Ruggs of the Raiders. Ran a four two six, but lost. Yeah. Now the validity. I'm going to turn to this one immediately. The validity of the 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 hand watch. Are the videos synced up? The accuracy. I don't know. If you're the Minnesota Vikings, do you cut Justin Jefferson right. for losing to Devin White? He ran a four five. Right. And he was like, I'm happy with that. Now, one, I mean, it's the offseason. Right. So I'll say on the front end, like the story is Hardman and Ruggs running 4-2-6 and 4-2-3. Is that what he said? 4-2-2. 4-2-2 in the offseason. Right. So the fact that Jefferson ran a 4-5, I wouldn't freak out. The other reason I wouldn't freak out, who cares? What are you talking about? Who would you rather have right now, the 4-2-6, 4-2-2 guys or Jefferson, uh, who, who had over 1,400 yards his rookie season? I would trade the farm for Jefferson. Yes, yes. But kind of, kind of neat, right? Weird. Well, I, that there wasn't much hype around it, right? Like even the tweet that you sent over, like I went to go watch the video, and it was deleted. Oh, it, right. yeah, yeah, the tweet's been deleted. So like, I don't even know what's happened? going on, right? Like, I don't know what the secrecy was or why it was there. I know the vast sound crew pulled the audio. That was today, right? So like, but like, this is something I would have watched, would have tuned in. Now it would have been much cooler if you had them all in the same field together. Yeah. But I yeah, totally would have watched this for, you know, five seconds of my day. Do you think the injury risk is why they have to kind of sneak this in? Why there hasn't been, you know, some sort of like big combine thing put together where you've got a couple million dollars on the line, you can have all the fastest players, you know, running the forty. I don't know. What else, what else is exciting? <laughs> do we want to see guys do vertical leap? I guess the forty is the most important one. Or is no. it just too dangerous because of the injury? Well, that, factor I mean, in the offseason. I guess the injury factor is a big part of it, right? We just saw what happened with Juwan James, right? God forbid you're running a 40 for no reason whatsoever, and all of a sudden you get injured while you're doing it, and then you're screwed in terms of what you're going to get paid. You know, I hadn't thought of that at all. 
Yeah, on the heels of James? No. Because, I mean, all these guys could be like, yeah, I'm just working out, man. I'm just running the 40. Nothing wrong with it. Well, it's not at the team facility. Now you're cut. Now right. none of those guys are getting cut. All you need is a cleat to get stuck in the ground or something like that. You twist right? You twist the wrong way and bam. You know, I don't know what Hardman's salary is. I I might argue if if Hardman tore an ACL or shredded his Achilles, maybe he would be cut. I'll look it up right like now. He's not a guarantee. I mean, in, in terms of like, you know, future, yeah. future guy making millions and millions of dollars. I think they want to hold on to him. They like him. He's what, he's a second-year guy or third-year guy? Good speed guy. Third-year guy, right? Uh, let's see. Yep, he's a third-year guy. Contract. He only, dude, he's, are you serious? He's, only, he's making less than a million of base salary this year. Yeah. 1.1 next year. Signing bonuses both years of 400K. He was like a third, fourth-round pick. Yeah. But so. you, you get my point. Like, I, You'd be in more jeopardy if you were a veteran and you were making – you're owed $10, $12 million. And let, let's – Let's go back to the Juwan James situation. Part of that was the guys who opted out, It's unless it's Belichick, I think he was happy about it Yeah. in some ways so his team could tank to a certain degree, although he didn't really try to tank. But I think I think there are a lot of teams who have kept receipts and they're like, eh, you wanted to opt out last year, huh? Yeah. And now you're working out away from campus, this NFLPA thing. All right, I'll mark that one down. Which is, I mean, if that is the case, that is extremely messed well, up. But I don't well, all the, all the stuff they said about, hey, you know, everyone has the right to do what they want. Safe. COVID's a scary time. Yep. You know there are a lot of coaches and organization people who are like, wimp. Yep. Doesn't have it. Doesn't want to play. Put it on the board. Doesn't have the hunger. <laughs> you know who's hungry? you got to want it more. A role model. And I'm going to buy his jersey. I already have one of his jerseys. I will get 85 to add to my 15 jersey. No, you won't. Well, I mean, you would. Your jersey you used to be on a big jersey kick. That seems to have died down a little bit. I actually bought – I did buy a Tebow Jets jersey on clearance, but only because it was $5. Now, it was like a – it was a woman's jersey. I just bought it. I don't know why. I bought it as a joke. Gave it to the SO, and she's like, get that out of here. No. So it's just been ha- – of course, did I throw it out? No. Give it to charity? No. But I do have one, so I might have to get an 85 Jaguars jersey four years from now when it's on the clearance track. What do you think of this? He's there. He's practicing. Big release. 90th guy on the roster getting a lot of attention. Let's sell some jerseys, baby. Yeah, Tim Tebow statement. I want to thank the Jaguars for the opportunity to compete and earn the chance to be part of this team. I know it will be a challenge, but it's a challenge I embrace. I am dedicated to taking the direction of our coaching staff and learning from my teammates. I appreciate everyone's support as I embark on this new journey. A statement released via the Jacksonville Jaguars on their social media account. Like, at what point do you sign a fourth-string tight end and you're like, here's a statement from this fourth-string tight end? Like, this isn't about football. This is ridiculous. <laughs> I, I just, like, I'm serious. Like, you know, we, we had mentioned this with Xavier Pope. There are a whole bunch of guys out there who would die for a four, for an attempt, like on a 90-man roster, just try to get in the building and try to work in front of these guys, right? Look, I don't know. Do you remember the story about the kid a couple of days ago who was pranked? He was sent a text by a fake Dean Peace, like, hey, come on down to Atlanta. We want to try you out at rookie minicamp. Shows up to the building, and everybody's like, I have no idea who you are. That's embarrassing. The guy was crushed. He was absolutely crushed by it. You know, like there are guys out there who really want opportunities like this, but Tim, Debo, Tim Tebow gets to wake up. And like, you know what? I want to be a tight end today. And then get signed to the Jacksonville Jaguars and everybody's all for it. Like, I just, outside of what you think about Tebow, which, by the way, he feeds into it a little bit, right? But outside of what you think about it, to me it's just unfair about to the nameless guys 
who just want to try to get a spot and who have been working their whole lives at that position to try to get there. And Tebow just gets to wake up and decide he wants to try to be a tight end. And the NFL and Urban Meyer are like, come on down, buddy. John, why are you jealous? Why can't you disrespect quintessential example of the American dream? This, this guy's fought. <laughs> what? Angel just laughs off to the side. I mean, why can't he compete? Because he, but he didn't do it. I'll say it. He didn't do it the right way. He woke. Ooh, he woke up. Look one at you. Day. He and like this is the other thing too, where I say about like the perception of Tebow. He knows that he has this following and this pull with a guy like Urban Meyer, so he's using that to his advantage, his privilege, to then get a roster spot with the Jacksonville Jaguars and compete for a job, where another guy cannot do that. And that's my problem that I have here. It is unfair. It's like, like you know me, like right. I like to be. A, I like to cook. It's like if one day I was my dad, who was a famous chef or something like that, I was like, you know what, Dad? I feel like trying to be a professional chef today. He's like, line cook, buddy. You're the last one, but you're a line cook. And it's like, no, that's completely unfair to the other guy who wants that spot to eventually work his way up. Like, that's, that's the problem. Like, we can't sit here and all of these people who are like, work ethic, bootstraps, let's go, and then at the same time be like, Tebow's doing it the right way. This is great. Like, no, it's not. On, on, the, on the way back, I got to – this is good. Uh, we'll get reaction from uh, Howard Bryant, who works for uh, ESPN.com, who's also been very vocal about Tony LaRussa versus his team. Dustin DeHart of Nova Home Loans brings you the 4 o'clock football frenzy. Dial 702-577-2600 now. Home prices have never been higher and interest rates have never been lower. Get your mortgage tune up today by calling 577-2600. Live from the William Hill Sportsbook at Silver 7's Hotel and Casino, it's Cofield and Company. Getting ready for the Golden Knights game tonight, 6.30. Big game three after emotional victory in game two. Sorry, I had a different kind of emotion just before we went to break. I was laughing at Von Tobel's rant about Tim Tebow. Boy, the rest of you guys on the show get so worked up about Tebow. And your case, again, is what, privilege? It's just not fair. He's getting an opportunity he does not deserve. Correct. There are a lot of guys who worked hard for that spot, and he just gets to wake up and decide he wants to be a tight end, and he gets to go sign with the team. It's not fair. You know what's sad? I'm, I, I think I've been beaten battered uh, as an older person by just watching the broadcast industry and watching you know kid after kid after kid get a chance. So you just come, you get to a point where you're like, eh, whatever, you got to fight through it. But I get your point. Uh, Howard Bryan is with us. Uh, I know he's been talking about Tebow, and we're going to get to La Russa, and Howard, of course, does great work for ESPN com. Howard, how you doing? Thanks for joining us here in Vegas. Good. How's it going? Uh, really good. Really good. So where are you now on on Tim Tebow? Today we had the jersey release. He's number 85, 90th player on the roster. There's a big press release and quotes from Tim Tebow. Um, are you as annoyed as a lot of people about this opportunity that Tebow has grabbed? Well, I'm not. I mean, I'm annoyed by it because I'm annoyed by things like this. I think what, I'm, what bothers me about it is, is the gaslighting of it all. Do not try to make an argument that there's any other reason why he's on the roster. Don't tell me about, you know, oh, he's here to help the young players. Just stop with all of it. Just Urban Meyer is showing his hand that he's all about the favor on this one. That's it. And, you know, and, and, and keep it quiet. You know, keep your mouth shut the next time somebody wants to bitch and moan about merit. 
because this is oh, the exact yeah. opposite of merit, yeah. right? This is, you know, nobody is saying, and I think what bothers me about this is the idea that complaining about Tebow suggests that you have no idea how the world works. We know exactly how the world <laughs> yes. works. That's why this yes. is sort of infuriating, yes. right? Yes. And just because it's infuriating doesn't mean that you're naive to how these things happen. I think the problem with it is, is when, you know, you have to think about it in context. It's really not about Tebow, right? We know that Tim Tebow doesn't deserve the opportunity. What it really is about is all the other periods. Go back to the Rooney rule. Go back to somebody getting hired or fired when they shouldn't have. It all goes back to the same thing, which is I don't want to hear another coach out there talking about how, well, I just want to go out there and get the best players. It's not about that. We sell sports as if it is somehow this, meritocracy that it isn't in other industries it's all the same garbage and, and it's it's clearly not uh in the coaching ranks and again not to you know i don't want to get on these families that have uh you know coaches who kind of get jetted through the system and you know uh little shanahan kyle shanahan he's a good coach he's a good coach but he reality does. is maybe mm-hmm. maybe you know uh, howard doesn't get the same opportunity without a name that's synonymous in football to be a head coach or be a coordinator by the time you're 33 or 36 years old. Well, well, exactly. Well, and the other piece of this, too, is the idea that people really tried to promulgate that Tim Tebow was somehow being blackballed for his religious beliefs. And that's like, that's blackballing? <laughs> this guy has gotten more opportunities and more visibility than anybody. He can't play. And so he has always landed on his feet. He ended he played minor league baseball, having not played baseball since high school. I mean, who are we kidding here? Nope. And I think that that's the – it's like, okay, if you want Tim Tebow to be a sideshow and to be visible, then just call it out for what it is, right? But don't insult people's intelligence about merit. Just, that's, the, that's the part that – that's the gaslighting part of this, that people are trying to tell you that it isn't specifically what it is. I saw someone on Twitter trying to make a comparison, Tebow, to Udonis Haslam. Yeah, could not could not disagree more. And that's the other point. If you <laughs> yeah. want to make this, then if you want to make that argument, then Tim Tebow should be working for the University of Florida, mm-hmm. and that you know, that there's some sort of institutional memory here that he brings. Udonis Haslam is a pro. Udonis Haslam is a guy who has been in that organization. He's a championship level player. He's won titles with Shaq. He's won titles with Dwayne Wade. You know. Th- and, and to make that argument, and I, you know, and Jim Sirwicky, who did it, I, you know, I like Jim. I used to lead him in the New Yorker all the time, so I'm not fighting with him. It's just that I thought it was a, I thought it was a very, very poor comparison. And essentially, because Udonis Haslam is being paid, essentially, as my boy Bomani Jones said, above scale to be an assistant coach. This isn't that. This guy is taking a roster spot, and you're trying to make it seem as though he has, he is somehow of value. You want to put him on the. Put him on the roster as a coach. Put him on as a coach. You know, you want him to sit there and mentor, you know, Trevor Lawrence, then put him on and say that's what his role is. But don't give him number 85. Somebody, you're taking somebody else's opportunity. Why do you think so many have-nots in the general public will gravitate to a guy like Tebow, will get mad at a conversation like this? And, and the have-nots I'm talking about are not – doesn't mean people who haven't achieved. Maybe they've achieved, but they had no connections. They had no hand up the ladder. Well, I'm always amazed by – People who, who are not Tim Tebow's don't have any connections, had a fight to do it, and they're like, hey, you're insulting. You know, like somehow Tebow's a role model for him. Yeah, I think, it's, I, think it's, I think it's the politics of it all, and I think it's the time period that we're in. And I also think you know, that you can't ignore the elephant in the room. People, 
the, the people of opposing political spectrums tried to put him and, and Kaepernick as polar opposites. And it's not even the same sport. It's not the same category. So I think that there's a, there are a lot of pent-up uh, emotions and anger involved in this for much, much larger re- reasons than, than, than the merits of the conversation. I think people look for symbols, and I think Tim Tebow has undeservedly become a symbol for people who are sort of tired of the, of, of the political awakening of these athletes over the past decade. And I think that he sort of has become their symbol for really no apparent reason. Howard, I'm curious, and I'm not really sure where I stand on this, but where do you feel about criticizing Tebow himself? Because I, I, I've seen a lot of, well, you don't really criticize Tebow, but I think you can. Like, he knows he can do this. He knows he can wake up and try to be a baseball player. He knows after that doesn't work out, he can try to be a tight end. Go back to like, the broadcaster. He got, he got right. an immediate entrance right into the broadcast world, and he's okay at it. And then that's what it kind of annoys me with Tebow, too, is he almost gets a pass for these certain amount of things where I think he deserves some criticism because he knows he can play the game and, get with, for lack of a better term, get away with doing stuff like this. Well, sure. I think he deserves criticism. I mean, somebody put out a, a, a tweet last week that said, you know, one of the things I really admire about Tebow is that he, he never gave up on his dream. I'm like, well, <laughs> neither did Peter Pan. He didn't want to grow up either. We give, let's not give Peter Pan that much credit. At, at some point, you know your game in the system. At some point, you know your – at some point, you're sort, of, you're sort of shading people surreptitiously that – you've got all these connections and, and people are willing to give you a shot because of your connections. Um, yeah, I think he deserves as much criticism as the people sort of praising him because it's essentially all a game, right? Everyone's sort of winking and laughing at you. And, and, and one person is collecting off of all of this. It's just a, it's just a sideshow. And as we go forward, here's the thing that drives me nuts, Howard, because we have this like collective of results-based thinking. I remember a couple years ago when the 49ers made it to the Super Bowl, there was this pushback all of a sudden, like, see, it's not nepotism. He made it to the Super Bowl. And it's the same thing here with Tebow. Even if he becomes the greatest tight end ever, he still did not deserve what he got in terms of the opportunity. No, it's a, I mean, that's 100% right. And I, and I think that's, that's what it is. I mean, and think about it across spectrum. When I say that when people want to know why, why people are upset about this, you do have to put it in these larger contexts. Think about the number of times that people have complained about the so-called affirmative action. Think about when people complain about college admissions. Think about when people complain about all these areas where they're in real competition thinking that they deserve the merit of a position, that I worked hard to put myself in a position to be considered for this job, right? And then compare that to this guy, right? That's why this is sort of important. It's not that Tim Tebow, it's not like people, you know, are being kept up, you know, kept up at night because they don't understand, you know, they can't get Tim Tebow out of their minds. It's simply the fact that in your daily lives, people make the exact counter-arguments that they use to support him. The, uh, the Tony La Russa case is fascinating on so many fronts. I'll start well, with... Especially you see CeCe Sabathia went in he, both barrels on him. He, he freaking went off on him. Uh, I want to get to that in a second, you know, what your job is as a boss in terms of uh, protecting your employees and, and your guys. But I also think the, the generation gap is really interesting because I think this is a bigger part. Again, there, there's always a bigger story when people get all inflamed about stuff like this. I think a lot of this is uh, Gen Xers, Gen Zers being annoyed with boomers, and then you tie that to baseball and these unwritten rules. And I don't know, am I off base on that one? Because I saw the whole thing with LaRusso talking about, you know, respect for the game. It's like, 
come on, dude. Let's not start talking about your integrity and your respect for the game. Yeah, I have real issues with this because, number one, I think – I understand. I don't think Tony was completely wrong about all this. I think I that know. there – I think, one, if you're going to – if you're going to be upset, he – you know, he disobeyed. He disobeyed the day the sign. He had a take sign. Okay. So you want to find him for that? Fine. I, I, I get that. I understand the idea of not wanting to embarrass opponents. I understand all of that. But anyone who knows Tony LaRusso's history knows that none of this really does apply. And Tony essentially, Tony essentially said it was open season on one of his own players. Yeah. And, you know, you don't do that. I mean, Tony LaRusso, for 35 years or 40 years in the business, was one of the guys who was one of the biggest protectors of his players. So there's a cultural... There's a cultural generational battle taking place here. But here's my biggest issue with all of this. If we're really going to talk about respect for the game, right, why do you have position players out there pitching in the first place? Right. Right? I mean, when I was growing up, if, I'm, if, we're, if we're really going to pull the, the Gen X card, if we're going to really do these different things, right? right, it used to be a sort of quirky, cute rarity when you saw a position player out there on the mound. It was an 18-to-1 game, and, gee, the right fielder's pitching. It happened once every few years or once a season. Yep. This is routine now because of the way they use bullpens. That's not respecting the game. You're, you're ruining the game right now by having openers and not having enough pitching to go nine innings regardless of the score. I mean, you know, this, this is not something, if you go back and look at the games in 1980, that you had 10, 15 times a year where you had a position player out there pitching. It happens all the time now. So to me, if you're going to take these two arguments, right, if you're going to say, okay, look, this is going to be part of the routine of baseball now, and also we're going to put a free runner on second base because we want to save bullpen. Right, right. right? That's <laughs> the rationale for this. If you're going to put a ghost runner on second base because your bullpen, your team can't handle an 18-inning game, then you need a mercy rule. Then you just need a mercy rule, and you can say, okay, we're going to save our bullpens, and we're going to get rid of these unwritten rules by simply saying, fine, we're down 15-1 to 1 ball game. We'll see you, see you and go get it tomorrow. I love that you went back to 1980. Um, I was looking on your, your uh, Twitter feed, and I like the fact that you know, you're going back and pulling old stories because that, that a lot of times is a wake-up call for people. Like, this is something new. Like, now, a lot of the things we talk about in baseball have been going on for years and years and years. And on the subject of La Russa, uh, you had a really interesting case where Jose Canseco was complaining about racism in baseball, and La Russa just brushed him off. He didn't back up his guy at all. And then his excuse was like, well, we just signed two blacks. Like, what? <laughs> and then he actually he, he actually said that in the late 80s. Wow. Yeah, that was, that was actually 1990. That okay, was, 1990. Um, what was it, Ricky Henderson yeah. and Dave Stewart? Look, look. Let's try it out, Ricky Henderson and Dave Stewart. There's no racism. Look, we got, like, we, what, we, Tony? We got a slam dunk Hall of Famer and a borderline Hall of Famer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Contract team, so that makes us not racist. <laughs> no, I think that it's you – know, and once again, it's all the same wheel. Everything goes bad. I actually posted a um, – I posted a, a quote from Ty Cobb from 1928 last night. So brilliant. About, so – this you know, is so brilliant. How, you know, baseball is being ruined because managers are going for their big inning. It's 19. Yep. <laughs> How do you feel about launch angle, Ty? And it's, it's funny because, yeah, when you go back and look at all these different issues, it always does come back to the same thing. I mean, what, what Canseco was arguing about wasn't the fact that 
you know, black guys weren't getting contracts. What he was arguing was, was that there were certain guys who get favoritism. Let's not forget, during that same period that, you know, Kinseko was complaining about Will Clark getting a big contract and, you know, Kevin Mitchell not getting one, over in Pittsburgh, you had Barry Bonds calling Andy Van Slyke the Great White Hope and calling him Mr. Pittsburgh. It's the same stuff. Who gets what? Who earns what? Who deserves what? This is what we do in a capitalist society, right? We argue about who is earning what they get. It's, it's the same today as it was yesterday. And, the you know, baseball is unique amongst all the sports because it's really the oldest one. It was segregated for the longest time, and it's been really slow to make changes and go away from kind of those all-white days in well, terms yeah, of the rules. you know what, and that's one of the things that people don't want to talk about is that the, the baseball that we talk about today, right, is the, these unwritten baseball codes were, are, are byproducts of segregation, racism, and anti-immigration. Right. I mean, seriously, I mean, and this is hear me out on this. You know, back then you used to sit there, you know, Joe DiMaggio's nickname was the Gago. You know, I mean, they used to just really rip guys based on or nickname guys based on on their ethnicities. This was just how it was back in, you know, in the 20s and the 30s and the 40s. It's not, you know, anything more than that's what it was. And so but when you look at when you start adding other cultures to the sport, Negro League players didn't like drill you in the head if you hit a home run. You know, you watch Korean baseball, they backflip all the time. If you go down and watch the Caribbean World Series, you know, those guys, they dance and joke and play and have a, it's a different flavor. But the roots of this game is a white, immigrant, Irish, Italian, Polish game, German game. And everybody who plays baseball now has to adapt to that style. That's the sport. But that's not who plays the game anymore. Today, in the NBA, you know, the NBA adapts to the people who play it. It's just different. And so baseball is one of the – baseball is the sport that makes you adapt to it. The NFL is a little bit in the middle because the NFL likes to consider itself like the military. And so you've seen how over the years, sometimes you can celebrate for a touchdown, sometimes you can't. They've got taunting rules and all that different stuff. So you, all, you always have this battle culturally between – what the rules of the sport are, what the traditions of the sport are, and who's playing it and what sort of cultural attitudes they bring to it, right? I mean, it's just – and baseball just doesn't want to adapt. Baseball wants you to play the game the way they played it in 1935. Well, baseball's adapted over the years to get the most money possible, which uh, makes me – and I'm in Vegas. Say, one last thing about this. Let's not forget that this is the sport that lost its mind when Ken Griffey Jr. took batting practice on with his hat on backwards. Oh, my God, the hat on backwards nonsense, which we still hear at times. And, <laughs> right. uh, yeah, but yeah. I would I would love the Major League Baseball logo to be Ken Griffey with the hat on backwards. It's a stick to everyone who complained Ooh, back then. I like that. La- last, right? last couple of minutes. So we're in Vegas. You know, We're in this conversation about the A's. But i got to tell you, a lot of people here in Vegas who love baseball do not want to see the A's leave Oakland. Is Major League Baseball going to screw this thing up and have the A's leave a Bafo-sized market, and whether it's Vegas or not, and, and leave for a smaller market – because they they just can't get a freaking stadium deal done. Step in and get the deal done. Make loans. Have them in the Bay Area. Come on. Yeah, I think it's interesting because I remember back in, in, in 2008, 2009, I remember everybody. In fact, even going further back, back in 1998 when I was on the A's beat, Vegas was, you know, they were down in Cashman Field playing those exhibition games. Vegas was a target back then. Yeah. 
And one of the things that baseball had always said was that they didn't think Vegas was an attractive baseball market because of the nighttime economy. There were too many games and too much competition with the nighttime entertainment. And so now you're like, okay, have you simply switched gears? Or or once the Knights got there and now once the Raiders get there, it's, you know, it's suddenly a viable market. I'm really interested in seeing how this whole thing plays out. But for years, baseball, I mean, baseball just did not believe that the Vegas market was suitable for 81 games. Things change, right? The embracing of uh, sports gambling, and, and it's also if you know if Nevada steps up again and gives hundreds of millions of dollars in some sort of yeah, public project. But baseball didn't say that gambling was their big problem. Baseball's problem was they said, "Well, we don't. We think there are too many transplants there, and we think there's too much competition for the entertainment dollar over 81 games because baseball doesn't have enough revenue sharing." Yeah, man, yeah, I think uh, the Golden Knights probably changed their mind a little bit, and the fact that we're gonna have a ton of tourists here for the Raiders. Yeah, no, they, there's no doubt they did. Uh, Howard, we really appreciate your time, and that was a good conversation. Thank you so much. Hey, it's my pleasure. Call anytime. There he is, Howard Bryant. Call ESPN. you tonight. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, we'll John's got another show tonight. <laughs> I got one tomorrow now. <laughs> we got a podcast tonight. You want to come on? Yeah, not even a not even a show. Just like sitting at home, like, hey, Howard, oh, what's just, up? Just you know, like the like, late late '90s, laying on your belly, feet up in the air, like twirling the phone cord. Hey, Howard, how's it going? What are you doing? Just trying to be polite, and you go, well, smart Alec on him. <laughs> Howard Bryant, ESPN.com. All right, on the way back, we got to get to the uh, Fat Pack more. Stories about cicadas, yes. Anytime the Golden Knights are on TV, watch the game at the William Hill Sportsbook inside Silver 7s and grab your 77-cent Bud Light bottles. We don't mess around when it comes to food. It's the Fat Pack on Cofield and Company. Brought to you by Nova Home Loans. You see a pair of laughing eyes. And suddenly you're sighing. All right, every day we talk about the world of food, restaurants, bars, fat people, in shape people, gross foods, lunatics who love to cook. We're going slow cooker tonight. Are you? Yeah. With? Some chicken thighs, a little soy sauce. Thighs? Ketchup, okay. sriracha. All right. Ginger, garlic. All that good stuff. The fight to use the thighs. I see that all over the place. You see it on a lot of cooking shows. People are like, stop with the breast. All right, go for the thighs. Dude, thighs, always, I've always been a dark meat guy. And, uh, I, yeah, I read an article that, like, dark meat popularity has spiked Okay. in the last few years. Uh, I just sent out a message to some of the uh, Cofield and Company culinary crew. I saw a tweet, ribs with peanut butter and jelly on them. Ew, what? They're just starting. I know. So, I tweeted at Mark McMillan. I tweeted at Naked City Chris. And I also tweeted at uh, Judge Dan in Denver. Dan's a big, he's a big uh, pit, pit master guy, smoker guy. So, we'll see what kind of responses we get. You might be surprised. Yeah, I guess. You never know. I mean, the, one of the more pleasant surprises I've ever had is a peanut butter and jelly burger. Okay. Really good. But it was like, it was peanut butter with a blackberry habanero jam with bacon lard. Oh, wow. Ooh, pretty good. What about peanut butter and jelly cicadas? Crickets. I, I, well, so like they're covered in it, I would assume. I, like, like I've I had chocolate-covered ants. It just, oh, really? It just tastes like, you know, like crisps and like in a crisp bar. Uh, last week, we played the station in D.C. They were doing a whole thing on cicadas. Like, hey, go grab all the uh, these crickets in your backyard. Cook them up. They're super protein. 
like just craziness. Uh, the anchor got because there was one lady making. Uh, she was making. It was Chipotle cricket tacos for Taco Tuesday, and the lady in studio. This woman was at you know in her kitchen. The woman in studio had someone make something with uh, olive oil and some other different spices, right? So she's about to try them. Here she goes. They're, they're going to be crunchy. You know that. It smells fantastic, first of all. So let mm-hmm. me try. Here we go. Oh, it is crunchy. There we go. Mm. Oh. Mm. How is it? Crunchy at first, then gooey. Oh, <laughs> no. Very gooey. Yeah. <laughs> I'm getting shrimp. Mm. I'm getting um, maybe a little chicken. Mm-hmm. It's actually good. So the, there were a bunch of jabronis in studio. She she wasn't the one moaning and groaning. They were uh-huh. trying to add effects. Uh-huh. But but the when she's like, they're very gooey. Like that sounded kind of scary. She did. Like that, that, that hit late. Oh, my gosh, yeah. crunchy. And kind of gooey. That concerned me. That's <laughs> that, yeah, that concerned me a lot. Wow, good job. All right. So do we have another cicada story? We do. What's going on? Are they reproducing at high levels so we can all eat them? So I love NPR. I've, I've come around and very old. I love NPR. Like, they have really cool, like, the offbeat stories that they talk about. Oh, man, you, you should have dropped the line on Howard. We just had Howard Bryan. He's one of oh, the That's a good point, yeah. yeah he's an NPR host, too. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, but, like, one of the things that actually, to the point we were just, the story we were just listening to a couple years ago, they had a great piece on All Things Considered about how bug protein is the future yeah. and all of this stuff. So they had another report, headline, a fungus that emits a kind of amphetamine is infecting some cicadas, causing their genitals to fall off while prolonging their sexual stamina and making them want to obsessively mate with everyone. The fungus apparently takes over the bodies, according to reports, causing them to lose their lower abdomen and genitals, and it pushes their mating into hyperdrive. Apparently, once they're above ground, they start to shed their skin and become an adult. Their butts fall off. Oh, wow. So they get super aggressive sexually, but then their genitals fall off and they can't use them. feels like torture. That's frustrating. <laughs> it feels very... I mean, I don't like know. It. Oh, boy. Oh and, like, they have pictures, like, you see, like, all the little white spots. Like, that's where the fungus is, and that's their butts, like, that fell off. Woo. It's sexually transmissible. It's a failed mating attempt because there's no genitalia back there, of course, so they just, you know, get up all up in each other and then just pass this to one another. Oh, no. And they're not very good. Well, there goes that super protein idea. Yeah. Thanks, bug world. Thanks, science. How about nature. This? In yearly cicadas, the fungus makes them instead become hypersexual from psilocybin, the same chemical found in psychedelic mushrooms. Oh, wow. So You're maybe right. if I keep taking those shrooms, my butt will fall off. You're really into this NPR stuff. Yeah. Can I go back to our stuff? Okay. Um, have you seen uh, former Purdue player Caleb Swanigan? Yes. He's had a little trouble with his weight. He was always a big fella. He was like 290, 6'8", 290 in college. And... Uh, I guess there was a picture that went viral. He's big. And when you're 6'9 and you're big, that means you're like 500 pounds. Yeah. Wow. So he's getting a lot of he's getting a lot of guff. And yeah, I guess Dame, Damian Lillard stepped up on his behalf and said cut it out. Stop ripping the guy. Which you can't stop I mean, fat shaming. I mean, look. Um what's it called? When you see something like that and that quickly, 
the initial thought is like something hormonal, like something wrong right. outside of just having a poor diet. And that's what kind of sucks about it, you know? Yeah, he said, uh, you don't know what it is he's going through uh, to cause a drastic change. If you're going to be supportive, then do that. But don't ask no S like that. It's not possible when a naturally big dude uh, goes down a dark road. So there was someone mocking on him. You know, how the hell does one go from, from this to that in one year? Well, it can, it can happen. <laughs> Trust me. All right. <laughs> we, uh, we step aside. We step aside for a couple minutes here. We'll get back uh, to William Hill. Check that. To the uh, Corona Cantina right across the way from the William Hill Race and Sportsbook. I want to get you some of the numbers from the book, especially from the baseball scoreboard today, and we'll set you up for the night's game tonight. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. It's Cofield and Company's Eye on Sports Gambling. I'm going to kill your bookmaker. I'm going to rip his throat out. I will step on his throat until the man chokes. Let me tell you how. Winners, 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 winners. Free, 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 free. Time to see what we have cooking at the uh, William Hill Racing Sportsbook down here. At Silver Sevens, we're all set. For another NBA playing game, do or die, in or out. Three and a half point spread, uh, Wizards at home favored against the Pacers, and we'll see if uh, Westbrook has a better game than he did last time around. It wasn't a bad game. His, his over-under for points was 24 and a half going into that one, and I think he finished with 22. So he was just under. People thought he was going to have one of these monstrous games because Bradley Beal was all beat up, but Beal actually played pretty well and uh, held his own from a a scoring standpoint. So that goes down in about 10 minutes. Three and a half point spread between the Wiz and the Pacers. Hockey now. Florida and Tampa, 12 minutes left. In the second, it's tied at two. Tampa win. They go up 3 nothing. They came into this one as a minus 135 favorite. End of the first. Series tied at one. And by the way, Tampa, again, up 2 nothing. Chance to go 3 nothing. Uh, Islanders and Penguins. It's one nothing. Penguins, 11 seconds left in the first. That one was basically a toss-up on the odds board. We finally have Canadian playoff action, Montreal and Toronto, about eight minutes in. It's scoreless in the first, and Toronto was a massive favorite in that one at minus 200. And your Golden Knights going for a 2-1 to lead on the road. Den of doom, as Chris Matthews from Channel 8 called it earlier. Wild. Basically, you got 110 both ways. Uh, there's a couple of books that have uh, taken a little more money on the wild, but uh, Knights on the road in this one total is 5.5, trying to take a 2-1 to one lead. It's 110 both ways. Baseball board, a couple of interesting games from earlier in the day. There's a bunch of teams that are actually out to nice starts. You know, we've been griping about pitching, dominating things, but there are some teams that are absolutely raking. Tampa's one of them. Tampa's now gone on a surge. And it's funny, the AL East, I think a lot of people looked at the division is one that might be down and have more of the teams right around, say, 85 or 86 wins. Maybe the Yankees could excel. I know their total was higher than that. It was in the 90s, but a lot of people were doubting on the Yankees because of their pitching, uh, but thinking that the Red Sox weren't going to be very good. There's going to be a step back by Tampa. Maybe Toronto would improve, but they've all been pretty good, and the, the, you know, the Yankees are surging, but so is Tampa. Tampa today, 10-1. to 1. They were minus 160 favorites against Baltimore. Randy Orozarena is going to be freaking awesome. Uh, he's what a steal from the Cardinals organization. He went four or six today to a home run. He's well over 300. Check that. He's at 283, but he is going to be a guy, I believe, who's going to be one of those dudes you see every year, you know, 315, you know, 25 homers, 115 ribs. Uh, he doesn't have 
you know, a ton of ribs this year because he's hitting in the leadoff spot. But they have so many good young players. Austin Meadows, who, of course, came over in a trade that looks like a total ripoff now from the Pirates. He went 3 of 6 today. Uh, former A, Joey Wendell, had a big day. But, yeah, they, they absolutely kill the Orioles in that one. That was 10-1. to 1. Uh, As I mentioned, the Yankees continue to surge. Another shutout after the no-hitter last night. Today it was Domingo Herman. Yankees win it 2-0, basically a toss-up game. And uh, Herman had a real good one as he went uh, six strong innings with seven strikeouts, shutout ball there. San Francisco is another one of those surprise stories. I didn't think San Fran was going to be any good. I still believe they're going to fade back to 500. Uh, They hadn't been hitting. Today they exploded. They had 19 runs. And want to talk about a resurgence? They were actually a dog in this one, a plus 129. Brandon Crawford has been fading the last couple of years, and he had another game today, three of six. He drove in six runs. So on the season, a dude who was you know routinely turning out you know, five homer and 40 ribby seasons of late, uh, now he's got, wow, he's got 11 home runs now. Brandon Crawford, uh, what a season he's having. So monster season, and it goes with the Giants, who are now 28 and 16 as they win it. 19 to 4. Uh, other finals in. You know, the Cubs haven't been playing bad baseball late. They went at 5 to 2 against Washington yesterday. Scherzer got them, but uh, today they win the game as minus 119 favorites. And uh, Houston and Oakland, toss up game again. The Astros win it 8 to 4. They're 26 and 18 now. One of their young pitchers came out, threw a good game, and they got good offensive play from both uh, Bregman and Altuve. Games of the night tonight Dodgers. And Arizona going at it. Dodgers, no shocker here, um, are minus 203 favorites. They've won a couple of games in a row here. Actually, they go for the four-game sweep against the Diamondbacks. And in this one, they've actually pushed back Bauer. So Bauer's going to pitch on Friday, but still big favorites against the Diamondbacks. All right, 5 o'clock hours coming up. Remember, 77-cent beers for the Vegas Golden Knights games tonight or game tonight all vegas golden knight games the rest of the way in the playoffs on thursdays that's when they have the 77 cent beer so come on down there's two bars to drink at we got the big five coming up we're also going to check back in on that whole ace to vegas story as things are starting to brew in terms of meetings and i'm seeing different areas of eh, support might be a little bit strong but there's certainly some dissenters uh in the Las Vegas area, who do not want the A's to come here. And I think there's a little bit of a connection there to some of the angst that went on between the A's and the Raiders. With 77-cent Bud Light bottles, Golden Knights hockey game nights are great at Silver 7's Hotel and Casino.